This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, March 11th, 2017. I want to give my hosts, my fellow hosts, my good friends a chance to say hi before we uh, jump right into the main part of the show. What's going on, guys? Hey, everybody. Uh, it's It's been a pretty good week. Got lots to talk about uh, this time. Looking forward to it. How about you, Brian? Yeah, I actually saw one of the movies we're going to be talking about, which uh, I'm honestly pretty hit or miss on. So that's a good sign, I think. <laughs> it's going to be great. We have, uh, um, by the way, folks, today's show, um, at least tentatively scheduled, you know how that sometimes goes, uh, the title of the show is Logan is Lonely, Kong is King, and River City Ransom is Rebooted. So we are going to start by talking about River City Ransom. Now, that's actually not the name of the full game. What's the full name of the game? It's River City Ransom Underground. Uh, and it's, it's, it's because it's a reboot of an old NES game uh, from back in our young children days. This is, it's one of those uh, new retro clones, only instead of just making a retro style game, they just, uh, and, and I don't have all the details on this, but uh, the people who made it basically licensed the uh, characters and, and the art style and everything from the original uh, creators of River Cedar Ransom. Uh, and it's not just an homage, it's like, it's a sequel to River Cedar Ransom. Nice. So the sprites aren't all tiny for no reason. <laughs> right. It, it's got that same, it's the same style, right? It, it looks like your your typical, and it was a Steam greenlit game, right? It's your like your typical stream, Steam indie pixel art game, uh, but it's got the same look and feel as the original NES game while being, you know, we've got more pixels here, guys. It's, it's, uh, it's fast, it's smooth, it's colorful, much more colorful than your 8-bit. Uh, Nintendo. Hmm. Now, um, you were playing it on Twitch, is that right? Yeah, I just fired up the I fired up the stream. Um, I almost never stream, but I thought I'd I'd play a little bit before the show to get people going to get my to get my juices flowing. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Had someone watching me uh, playing along. Uh, that's at uh, Twitch TV slash Dornal, of course. Did uh, Did you play the original? Of course, hours and hours and hours, uh, days and days uh, as a youth. Uh, that was one of my fondest uh, memories uh, playing NES. So when uh, I got word of it on Twitter, uh, right before it was released, uh, our good friend Oliver Campbell was uh, was hyped about it. Uh, and that's how I noticed it on Twitter. I was following him on Twitter, and he mentioned it. And, and I immediately signed up for to follow it. As soon as it was released, I picked it up. Uh, unfortunately for it and them, it was released about three days, three, four days before that new Zelda game. <laughs> that that new Zelda game that is single-handedly selling Nintendo Switches and has all sorts of perfect scores from everybody. Uh, bad saw, timing there for them. <laughs> I saw a headline today that said that the uh, traffic at a prominent porn website has dropped by 33% since the new Zelda came out. Which I, don't, 
I'm not making that. I absolutely am not making that up. I follow a bunch of uh, news websites on Twitter, and that was one of the headlines that was posted today. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering, really, what went through my mind is, I wonder if that's a reflection of how popular Zelda is, or if that's just a reflection of how perverted Nintendo's fan base truly is. So I'm not sure. I don't have an answer on that. I don't have statistics. But I, I did think that that might be the two instances so or the two options the two possibilities either it's really really popular or nintendo fans are perverts so well I, yeah probably yes the latter I'm there's, going another, that one. there's another possible horrifying dimension of that explanation which is that yes nintendo fans are perverts and for some reason new zelda is getting them off instead Ah. Oh, oh, okay. Well, well, that's not going to happen with River, River Cedar Ransom, all right? Oh, good. Um, so, I think he just violated you... the rating on our show. We, we might have to carry an explicit rating now on iTunes and YouTube now. That was... <laughs> oh, look what I did. Um, so are you guys familiar with the game, the original or the new one? Not even a little bit. Holy cow. Bust out your old Nintendo emulator, guys. Uh, River City Ransom is a side-scrolling sort of beat-em-up in the same vein as Double Dragon or, or Streets of Rage, but uh, it being a crazy Japanese uh, company, it's also got sort of RPG elements to it, uh, because as you run around the city, the River City, beating up other rival gangs... Who all go to the high school? Nobody actually learns at high school. They just fight. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that makes sense. Like, this is Japan, guys. Um, so in the original game, the two heroes, Alex Alex and Ryan, are just guys that beat up all the gangs in the city because they're, they're, there's a rival who stole Alex's girlfriend or something, right? Typical cheesy high school fight setup. Uh, but every time you beat up the gang members, they drop coins, and so you pick up the coins and you collect money. And you can stop by the mall and and, the, and strip malls and various stores. And you can eat food that powers you up. And you can also like learn. You can go to the dojo and learn special moves that that make you stronger. Uh, and so that sort of added a fun element, a RPG element to the game, uh, besides making it just a straight beat 'em up. That uh, that sort of Made it a lot of fun, but also added a lot of playtime to it. Like, there's lots of replayability to it. And uh, and so River City Ransom Underground, they just took that and extended it, right? So they've got multiple characters, and each character has a different move set. There's you know there's the there there's the karate guy, and then there's a luchador who you can play. <laughs> I don't know why there's a luchador, but there's a whole gang of luchadors to fight as well. So you might luchadors well. being so big in Japan. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is an American uh, company that made it, though. That made River City Ransom Underground. Uh, um, I... But yeah, they, they've got a whole bunch, and they've all got special moves, and they've got unlockable abilities that you have to collect money and go to the dojo and learn it and, and everything. And so, and of course, like any modern game where you punch people, they keep a combo counter as you beat the heck out of the other gangs. Uh, so so that's a little bit of fun as you try to rack up as high a combo as you can uh, on your poor opponents. 
So have you been enjoying it so far? It uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've played a few hours so far. Uh, I haven't tried the multiplayer, which is where it gets the multiplayer gets even better. But I played the game. It feels like the original game. Uh, the the graphics are fun and colorful, and it, and it's really it's just been it was a nice sort of blast from the past uh, to play that, and it was fun too. All right. Um, I'm really looking uh, forward to. Oh, I mean, I'm really looking forward to trying out the multiplayer. Uh, we'll probably get that going sometime uh, this weekend, uh, because as one of like a like a lot of old uh, NES games, sitting down with your friend and and playing is one of the best experiences. And they've got online four-player multiplayer as well as like, apparently there's a a verse player versus player mode, which is, well, I'll stay away. Um, I don't have any questions. Do you have any questions, Brian? Well, I, I will say that I did play the original not nearly as much as it sounds like Dornall did. But you said an American company created it? Yeah, I didn't have the details in front of me. Let me look. Let me get those. Sure. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it, wasn't like, um, it wasn't like the company said, we're going to bring this game back. It was more like a, a fan game that they said, right. hey, we're going we're gonna to license the original properties and we're going to run with it. It's an indie Canadian developer named Conatus Creative. Um, they did a Kickstarter in the uh, latter part of 2013 um, and then released it this year in, Feb in February. Well, thanks. You are Johnny on the spot. So, but, but what I want to ask Doran all this is, is it obvious? You know, is... I don't know. I, I suppose the, the otaku is palpable. What do you mean? I mean, can can you tell that it wasn't originally made by a Japanese team? I mean, it, it, it's hard to express in words, but like, I don't know. I can tell like an American artist drawing in an, a manga style, for example, as opposed to like an actual Japanese manga artist. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of hand drawn art, for lack of a better word, that you know cut scenes and, and the title and everything. Obviously not Japanese. Um, the in-game art uh, closely models what we had in the NES, which was, I mean, that, that was more NES graphics than Japanese graphics anyway. Um, okay. And the style of, and the humor of the game is very similar, but, uh, but for example, in and near the beginning of the game, you meet up with uh, with a couple of you, you actually meet up with the uh, Alex and Ryan as they're older, and they've got a secretary, and they do a Ghostbusters reference where the phone rings and the secretary pick, picks up and mm. says, "We've got one, right?" So okay. that's something that would be, I probably totally lost on everybody but me. Um, never mind, like Japanese audiences. So it's definitely. Does that answer your question? That that perfectly answers my question. That's a perfect example of what I was thinking of. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think it's time to talk. Um, well, we can either jump to Logan or we can jump to King Kong. Kong Skull Island. Uh, Let's do Kong. That sounds okay. like more fun, to be honest. <laughs> Kong Skull Island. Uh, if you've seen the trailers, and this is going to sound harsh, and it's not meant to be as harsh as it is, but it's nonetheless true. If you've seen the trailers, nothing in the movie will surprise you. 
Um, I was disappointed at a couple of instances, but I was never surprised. Everything I thought about the movie from watching the trailer actually turns out to be true. Um, so when I saw the trailer, go ahead. You're just that good. <laughs> I've been doing this for way too long. <laughs> um, when I saw the trailers, um, what I thought was, oh, it's a, it's Apocalypse Now slash Heart of Darkness because um, the Vietnam era movie, uh, it's Apocalypse Now or Heart of Darkness plus King Kong. And it pretty much is exactly that. One of the characters, one of the main characters' names, in fact, is James Conrad. And Joseph Conrad wrote Heart of Darkness, which is what Apocalypse Now was based off of. Um, so... I mean, it, that, it, it is disappointing in and of itself that nothing in there surprised me. The monsters that you saw, with a couple of exceptions, and literally a couple, precisely two exceptions, maybe three. The monsters that you saw in the trailer are the monsters that are in the movie. There are three exceptions, and they're not very big exceptions. The combat scenes that you saw in the trailer are, for the most part, the combat scenes that you see in the movie. They didn't spoil like the big dramatic climactic battle at the end that they also um they're not super spectacular battle scenes so let me tell you if you've saw the king kong from the 1970s or saw king kong from uh the last decade about 10 years ago with peter jackson um you know how king kong goes there's this mysterious island in the south pacific there's this heavy weather front surrounding it that has thus far prevented people from discovering the island and traveling to it a bunch of people go to the island they find giant creatures plus king kong bam bad stuff happens that's the movie that's the setup wow um this time the Vietnam War has just been officially declared over. They just signed the armistice. And so they're about to send a bunch of people, a helicopter unit, back home to the States when they get co-opted to take these explorers to Skull Island. They've just discovered Skull Island on, this, on a satellite uh, scan of the Earth. And so they fly through this heavy storm. And that's actually a cool scene, flying through the storm. It's dangerous and stuff. And they arrive on the island to begin doing everything you saw in the trailers. Geological surveys with bombs. That's It was in the trailers. Um, what frustrated me the most, what disappointed me in the most, is it was another opportunity for Hollywood to strut and preen about being anti-war. Um, Brie Larson's character um, is a... Someone says, well, you don't look like a war photographer. And she says, well, I'm an anti-war photographer. Oh, and really? Yes. <laughs> um, On the nose, the movie. Yeah. The, the movie is entertaining. There's a lot of entertaining stuff in it. There's just enough obnoxiousness. And they gave everything away in the trailers. Maybe if I hadn't seen the trailers, I wouldn't... Um, I wouldn't have been so unsurprised by it, but they gave away all of the key stuff in the trailers. And I haven't actually had a movie that was as spoiled by a trailer. And here's the thing. It's not that they 
revealed every single plot point. It's that I guessed all of the major plot points from watching the trailers. As soon as you know, this is a retelling of Heart of Darkness, or this is a retelling of Apocalypse Now, then you can guess everything else that happens in the movie. The soldiers are going to be either incompetent or evil. Um, King Kong is going to be revealed as the real good guy, and the human beings are actually the bad people. Uh, it's just all of that stuff, I guess, from the trailers. I posted about it, and it was all true. So that's what was... That's why the movie, even though it was entertaining, was not as exciting as it could have been, because as soon as you know what politics the movie is pushing, you can guess everything else that's going to be in the movie. Um, and it's very obvious about its politics, very on the nose, as you said, Brian. It, it, it really seems as though the writers counted on known in the audience having read Heart of Darkness or seen Apocalypse Now which sadly might be a safe assumption. Or or even having seen any movie with military people in it, because with the rare exceptions of, you know, The Rock and other, I don't mean The Rock, the actor, I mean the movie, The Rock, and other, um, you know, 13 Hours and other movies by that same director, most Hollywood people have real contempt for the military, and the military is always the bad guys. Um, and hey, sure enough... Yeah, even later, Star Trek pulled that one. But anyway. Um, I'm trying to think of the interesting points that are... Oh, yeah. Very, very first thing is the military is completely incompetent. You're in a bunch of helicopters. There's a giant creature that's reaching up and smashing helicopters out of the sky. What's the very first thing you do? Are you actually asking us? Yeah, think about it. What's the very first thing you do? There's a creature re reaching up and physically swatting helicopters from the sky. What do you do? Okay, well, depending on how tall it is, and knowing that helicopters have a more limited flight ceiling than a plane, I would laterally move away from the monster, you know, like Charlie Theron should yeah. have done in Prometheus. Fly away or fly higher. And this creature is nowhere near the flight ceiling of a, uh, of a sea stallion okay. or a Huey. Fly okay. higher, fly away. That's it easy not very hard especially when the island is filled with all of these rocky promontories that you can hide behind easily you can just get out of sight um but instead king kong literally just destroys all of these helicopters because the military is stupid he dodges out of the way at one point and two helicopters run into each other <laughs> When a giant ape is dodging out of the way of helicopters, there's something wrong in the movie. They make the military look incompetent because it has to be a plot point, and it's tiresome, and it's obnoxious. And it's like, okay, we get it. The military is not just evil. They're also stupid. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, it was... Those were the disappointing bits. It's like they couldn't even have the military fight back. At one point, this guy decides he's going to save the party, so he takes a bunch of hand grenades to go and... Uh, and this is kind of a little bit of a spoiler, sorry. He takes a bunch of hand grenades to go and do something dramatic and blow himself up and, and save the party, and instead the creature just swats him out of the way and he blows himself up for no good purpose. Just completely wastes his life. 
died for no reason. And this is a character that they had invested time and development into over the course of the whole movie. They wasted a lot of time setting up this character who had a completely ignominious death. It was a waste. Uh, at one point, the crazy guy, now, based on the trailers, who do you think would play the main crazy military guy? Because your first guess is going to be right. <laughs> okay. It would have, have to be Mr. Jackson. I mean, yeah. it's not a shock. So, at one point, he sets up a bunch of a trap for King Kong. It's a bunch of uh, C4 charges. And then another evil creature shows up. And I'm thinking, oh, well, this will be cool. This will be a cool moment of redemption to where, and this is a spoiler, folks, okay? I'm spoiling something from the movie. You know, fast forward a little bit if you don't want to hear this, if you haven't seen King Kong. I'm thinking this is a cool moment for redemption that he can see that, you know, in the context of what this movie is set up, King Kong has something that he needs to do. He can't just blow up King Kong, and he can use these charges on the other creature. And for a brief shining moment, I had hopes that they would be a little bit self-aware, a little bit interested in crafting a character arc of redemption. That character arc, that hope, goes unfulfilled. I'm not going to say what happens exactly, but my hopes that there would be a little bit of a character arc there um, goes unfulfilled. Well, would you agree with what uh, the press is saying, which is that King Kong is secretly a John C. Riley movie? It's like a vehicle for him. How is that even possible? I, I don't understand the comment. <laughs> okay, because that's the character you're talking about, played, played by John C. Riley. Like in the reporting on this movie, they're saying it's secretly a vehicle for him as an actor. Did that come across at all? Is he the crazy guy? Yeah. Uh, he was the best part of the movie. Uh, he did some kind of rough things, but he was the best part of the movie, and he's the only person given a real emotional payoff for being in the movie. Um. And so yeah, he's the one that tells the military everything that they need to do. And of course, because they're idiots and the audience all knows that they should listen to him, but the military is all idiots. So they completely ignore him and suffer for it. Hmm. Um, Riveting. Why, why did they release this in March again? <laughs> uh, they released a ton of movies in March. I think they're trying to get out of the way of guardians of the galaxy. <laughs> Yeah, that's smart. Because <laughs> um, Guardians of the Galaxy is coming out in May. Uh, and there are a couple of other big movies. Uh, Ghost in the Shell is coming out on March 31st. Um, and there are a few other big movies coming out in March. March is a, a big, big month this year. Um, and I, I just think they're getting out of the way of, of the Marvel uh, steamroller, the Marvel juggernaut, before it starts rolling. Um, so, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I wasn't surprised, but I was disappointed. And every opportunity they had to make the movie more interesting, to give characters more depth, to make them more than a one-note um, parody of the military as being stupid, evil warmongers was never, ever taken. They never, ever missed an opportunity to make the military look dumb. 
individual military characters get moments of levity that where they seem like they're as people, like they're decent people. They don't portray them all as, you know, baby murderers, which is what the Vietnam era typically did. But the military as a group, as an organization, is portrayed as being absolutely incompetent at fighting. And that's just painfully obnoxious. Yeah. So. All right. Have we kicked that horse enough? Yeah. All right. Time to go on to Logan. Oh, boy. Took the words out of my mouth. I'm going to let you start because I just did all the talking for, for Kong. Wait, I, I want to set you up. I want to set you up. Mm. I, I, when I saw the first trailer that with the Johnny Cash hurt and, and the really slowness, I rolled my eyes as hard as I possibly could. I could not believe that this, this is actually a thing. And then the second trailer came along and they had to reveal because apparently nobody wanted, everybody felt the same way I did. So they're like, oh yeah, by the way, and this girl is also Wolverine. And I rolled my eyes even harder. And so that's why I haven't even seen this movie. Tell me more, Brian. Okay. So it is a movie. Logan is a film about limo driving and how annoying the fares that limo drivers pick up can be. It is also about everyone taking drugs all the time. Let's see. We, we also have, yeah, psychotic Wolverine mini me. So that's a thing. And Patrick Stewart performing improv Taco Bell commercials. Five stars. You've completely stunned Daddy Warping with that. <laughs> I'm, just waiting, I'm just waiting for him to explain it. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to avoid spoilers here. Because I saw the same movie, and, and a lot of that doesn't make sense to me. Okay. All right, all right. So I've, I, I've heard, and I believe one of our, our guests said this, but uh, re recently heard that Logan is not a superhero movie. It is a Western that happens to have superheroes in it. I really think that hits the nail on the head. They even have a directed nod to that. Where there, there's a part where uh, Professor X and uh, Mini Wolverine are, are watching a Western together. I don't know. Did anyone, either of you guys know Shane. which one? Thank you. The, the Western Shane, which I've seen, is a really good movie. I was counting on you to see that. Thank you. So it's... It's a way more personal story. I, I think because because for a while now, for, for a couple of movies, Hugh Jackman has been in search of the perfect art house Wolverine movie. He's wanted to expand his range, actually get some craft work acting done. And the Wolverine, you know, Wolverine goes to Japan was really his his first attempt. And the first two thirds are good. I think it dropped the ball in the in the final act. This one, I think he finally succeeded. This one is totally consistent all the way through. It's it's very personal. It's very much about the relationships between the characters. Yeah, of course, there's action in it, and and a lot of it. And you'll you'll be glad they went with the R rating if you like really visceral action and gore because yeah they. They do not shy away from showing the effects of the claws. 
So how much deeper do you want me to go with without getting into spoiler territory? I don't understand the Taco Bell comment. That, that okay. makes no sense to me. Well, it happens. Because, okay, they don't really explain this in the movie, so I'm just going to give it to you as is. So Professor X has gone totally crazy. He's suffering from some sort of neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's or dementia or something. So they have to keep him drugged up so he doesn't have a seizure. And by virtue of his psychic powers, send everyone within like a five-mile radius into a seizure. Because that happens. And they hint that the first time it happened, it may have destroyed the X-Men. So like Wolverine and Caliban and Professor X are the only ones left. And there, there's a part shortly after Professor X is introduced and shown to be in his doddering state that he, he just starts screaming and, and ranting. And there's a Taco Bell commercial in there. Like he delivers as part of his rant. A Taco Bell commercial. Oh, that's because he's, oh, he's, he's quoting from uh, a TV, a television. He's hearing a television. Somebody's watching TV somewhere, and he re he's re quoting everything that's on the television. So he starts quoting a news story, and then he starts quoting the, the commercials that are on it. It's showing uh, it's showing that he's um, he doesn't have control of his mind. Um, right. That's it, yeah. And the professor takes medicine. It, it should be noted that his medicine isn't what causes him to go, um, makes him demented. It, it causes the dementia. The medicine actually makes him more lucid. Um, mm hmm Although yeah. there's a couple of times where they also make it seem like it's the other way, but for the most part of the movie, it's a little, a little uh, continuity bobble. But for the most part of the movie, he takes these pills and it becomes more lucid. He has more control over himself. He knows more of what's going on. He recognizes Wolverine, uh, and then he also doesn't have these attacks. Um, both Professor X and Wolverine, you find this out right at the very beginning. This is not technically a spoiler. You do find this out right at the very beginning of the movie. Both Professor X and Wolverine are suffering from um, bad, bad illnesses. Wolverine um, speculates as to the cause of his, which may or may not, I'm not going to talk about that because that is actually a legitimate spoiler. But both of them are hurting. Both of them are not in their prime. Both of them are quite clearly... Uh, older men who have gone downhill physically and that plays a large part of uh or in fact the key part of wolverine's um his art through the entire movie is what he's doing now that he's an old man and he's no longer as uh he's no longer as sharp mentally he's no longer as sharp physically um at one point, he goes to pop his claws out, and they don't even fully emerge uh, because of various problems inside his body that he has to deal with. And so, uh, it's he's crippled in a in a you know very real sense, and that's what forms the kind of the undergirding of what happens during the rest of the movie. So yeah. Even his eyesight is deteriorating because there's a part where Professor X says, you know, you, you can't even read the prescription on that bottle. Caliban. And, uh, oh, Caliban says, okay. You know, bald, pasty British dudes, I get him confused. But anyway, yeah, and the, just the fact that he is old, that Wolverine has aged, tells you visually right away that something is wrong. And sure enough, his healing factor is a little messed up. 
Um, I won't go too deep into the reasons why, but yeah, drugs. So there's like three different kinds of drugs that everyone, that, that several characters take. So you already covered the like, medication that you makes it sound like they're <laughs> doing like um, pot or acid or, you know, heroin or something. They're taking medication hey, no, because one, they are sick. <laughs> one is definitely performance enhancing oh. drug. Okay. So there's, I'm going to enumerate him. So there's the medicine that makes Professor X more lucid that treats his dementia. There's the one that they introduced like back in Days of Future Past, I think, that, that suppresses mutant powers that they use whenever he does have a seizure and starts suffocating everyone. And then there's like the mutant steroids that comes into play on several occasions. So a lot, a lot of, lot of, lot of substances being consumed by, by a lot of folks. Not quite sure what it means, but it, it was a, a plot device that they fell back on quite a bit. And I suspect that it means something, but I uh, haven't quite figured out what yet. Um, so I'm, I'm understanding that you really didn't enjoy the movie. Oh, no, I loved it. It's, it's a good movie. It's very well made. The performances are, are solid. However, okay, I, I can't say that I, I loved it. I don't know if I would watch it again. I, I'm not mad that I saw it, but it's not fun like in the way that First Class is. It might be the best standalone Wolverine movie. Oh, but... come on. Compared to the others, how? <laughs> That's, there's no contest. Well, the, the Wolverine was pretty good, again, except for that last act. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think think it is the best standalone Wolverine movie, but it is very oppressively and relentlessly depressing. Like, it's it is not happy, and it's depressing. Extremely. Which I don't necessarily have a problem with, but I mean, again, it's it's not exactly what I would call fun, but it is well made. Um, have you ever seen A History of Violence? Yes. It reminds me of A History of Violence in a sense, uh, not because the plots parallel each other at all, hmm. um, or exactly. I mean, there are a few parallels in the plots. Um, because actually, I just thought of this. I hadn't thought about the two movies together. There are a few parallels in the plots, but uh, by and large, A History of Violence is dark and it's grim and it's brutal yeah the moods and, are very similar yeah the, the moods of logan and history violence are very similar i i love me some some cronenberg so I'm, I'm right with you on that one and and a history of violence is also uh it's also a western too um yeah really fundamentally speaking it's a western Absolutely. it's it's uh almost like unforgiven too if you want to come up with another good movie that sort of Again, is is somewhat parallel in, in a lot of aspects. Um, Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven is also a, a really good guide to the tone. It's uh, it's dark, it's grim, it's um, it's not a bad movie, but it's not a, a light entertainment movie. 
Exactly. We can almost do a, a meets thing here to describe to people. So Logan is kind of like Unforgiven meets Babylon AD meets a history of violence. Um. <laughs> okay, once again, two for two now. <laughs> that was awesome. So, so one thing that that's bothered because I I pretty much I like westerns. They're I think they're pretty great, but they haven't been popular in Hollywood in a while. Did the um and you guys brought up a couple of strange things that sort of happened in the movie with the with the drugs and and the weird and the mutant powers, obviously. So, how much of that X Men comic book baggage add to the movie, and how much did it sort of ruin the western feel or, or ruin it as a movie? Can I let you take it? Um, if they had stayed with just Wolverine and his powers, um, it wouldn't have been really noticeable at all because then the claws, yes, they're strange and his healing is strange, but it's no, it would be almost mundane. They would just replace gunplay in the movie. Um, what really makes it more fantastic than any Western ever is, is Professor X's psychic abilities. And so that whole, because um, Westerns are, by their very nature, very, very grounded. There's no supernatural elements. There's no, you know, high-tech elements. And if you add supernatural or high-tech elements, it becomes something else other than a Western, uh, like Cowboys versus Aliens or the um, Weird West genre, uh, the Deadlands role-playing game and stuff. And so... Professor X's psychic abilities, not that they were badly done and not that they weren't appropriate for the movie or appropriate for what they were going for. They did make it more than something that was just a Western. They make it into something that was clearly, at a couple of instances, uh, dramatically supernatural. Um, so it's not that it's not a Western. It's just that the feel of it being an actual Western is kind of bent really, really heavily when Professor X starts doing his psychic stuff. Agreed. I, I had the same reaction as you. It's like, I saw this movie. It was very, very well done. All the performances are great, but I don't really ever want to watch this again. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's nothing... Once you've seen the movie, and it's worth seeing, I think, that would be my um, my review of it. It's a very, very well done movie. A lot of excellent performances. It's definitely worth seeing, but it's not something I would go and watch again. Whereas even, even uh, A History of Violence, I wouldn't watch again. I've seen it once. Unforgiven, I have watched a couple of times, and I would still be up to watch Unforgiven again. I'm, I, I don't know exactly the differences there, why Unforgiven is worth uh, re-watching. It may just be as simple as Clint Eastwood is, and Morgan Freeman uh, are both such fabulous actors and both did such a fabulous job in Unforgiven. You can't not watch Clint Eastwood. I mean, uh, even Gran Torino, I've seen several times and I'd be up for seeing again because Clint Eastwood is just such an amazing actor that he adds something to the movie that uh, Hugh Jackman wasn't able to bring or that uh, Patrick Stewart wasn't able to bring. It may just be that simple. Yeah, I totally agree with you on all of that. And there, there's no shame in not rising to the level of Clint Eastwood. Yeah, because who, I mean, really, who does? Once you're at that level, 
you have actors that are maybe his equal, but none of them are him. I mean, like Kurt yeah. Russell, incredible actor, great actor, has a landmark career, but he's so completely different. Great actors, stars, real stars. Michael Caine is a real movie star. Um, are so unique that you can't ever duplicate them. Um, and so even stars of the same caliber aren't interchangeable. They stamp a movie with their presence. They stamp a movie with their um, talent, with the feeling they bring to it. And even if they're playing a different role and playing a different role very, very well, who they are comes through so strongly that the entire movie is kind of bent around them. And they're, uh, and I don't mean ego in the sense of I'm so awesome. Their, you know, force of personality is so great that the entire movie is infused with it and colored with it. And it becomes something completely unique with that actor. And you can't really duplicate it with anyone else, which is why remaking a lot of classic Hollywood movies is so stupid because you can't ever remake it with different actors. It will never be the same. And even if you had, it, it, it will almost never, some, some exceptions, it will almost never equal or better the original material because you don't have that, um, you don't have the original actors who inhabited the material and made it so uh, amazing. Here, here. So. All right. Any last thoughts about Logan? Go see it. Um, I'm. It's worth seeing, very much so. Second. Hey, go go see it once. Oh, if I have to. <laughs> it's a. Uh, um, we are out of time. We're way out of time. Is there uh, any other, any last thoughts before we take off? I did have a question. Would you advise people to see Logan in the theater? Or would it hold it just as well at home, do you think? Depends on how much you like the X-Men. Um, or how much you like the sound of the movie we've just described. If that sort of movie sounds like your cup of tea, then by all means, go and see it in the on the big screen. There's enough visually going on that makes it worthwhile to see on the big screen. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting things that happen in the movie that we haven't even touched on because they're spoilers. We can't even mention them because they're spoilers and they're surprising when they happen. But you're like, oh, wow, I didn't expect that. Unlike King Kong, unlike Kong Skull Island, I didn't expect that. And that's a little bit strange, but I'm willing to, you know, let them go with it and see what happens. So a lot of the elements introduced early in the movie pay off in ways, different ways than you would expect. Um, yeah, that's why my initial review came out like something of uh, an impromptu tone poem. Because you, you can't really talk about the connective tissue without spoiling things. So, yeah, if you if you like the X-Men, if you're a fan of, of, of Wolverine, the character as played by Hugh Jackman, I definitely, go re I definitely recommend seeing it in the theater. There's enough going on visually that you can watch it, and it's great. Uh, this is Hugh Jackman's last hurrah as Wolverine. He's retiring as Wolverine. And uh, even... Patrick Stewart has said that he's going to be retiring, although he may have walked out a little back a little bit in the last few days. Uh, he'll be retiring playing Professor X after this. So it may just it may just be the last chance to see those two actors playing those two characters, and it's worthwhile to see it on the big screen. So yeah. All right. Um, do we have any questions in the chat we want to hit before we go? 
No. Nope. Dornall, last thoughts. Uh, yeah, get River City Ransom. If you have any nostalgia at all, it's worth it. It's great fun. <laughs> any uh, any last thoughts, Brian? Well, I do want to point out in a blatant plug that currently each book in my award-winning Soul Cycle is on sale. They're $14.99. They're priced specifically uh, specifically to be less than the pre-order price for John Scalzi's latest hardcover book. <laughs> so go, go ahead and check those out. There should be links uh, in the show notes below. Um, and... I've got a, another post should be coming out on the Castelia House blog oh, um, this afternoon in a couple of two or three hours. So uh, if you've been enjoying this series from the last couple of days, by all means, um, you know, get ready, check it out. The concluding, uh, the concluding part of the three-parter is, is coming out today. Um, thanks for tuning in folks. Thanks for, uh, checking out the show. We do the show about once a week. You can catch us on, uh, of course, catch us live, youtube.com slash geekgab. You can just do a search for geekgab in the iTunes store. You can uh, download the podcast there, listen to it on any of your various iDevices. We're also available on SoundCloud if you want to listen to it on the web. And we're also available on the Google Play store, so you can download it to any of your Android devices that support the Google Play app. We, uh, we are taking off for today. Uh, next week, we hope to have blogger Rick Stump, uh, a D&D, old school OSR D&D blogger. Week after that, we hope to have Rob Kreese. We apologize, Jason Rennie was supposed to come on the show today, but there was a mix-up as to who was doing the scheduling and when was he going to be scheduled. So um, we're going to get him on the show as soon as possible. So we're definitely right now for Rick Kreese uh, in two weeks. And then after that, at some point, Yakov Merkin, Mason Housley, uh, Jason Rennie, and hopefully the return of the Pulp Trio, Jeffro, John C. Wright, and Razor Fist. John C. Wright's already, already definitely on board. And uh, we have to, I have to talk to Razor Fist and Jeffro to see if they're available. We'll be firming that up as we get closer to April looking like probably the middle of April right now, if if we're able to bring it off again. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are leaving. We are signing out. We are turning off the show for today. But don't worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.